Let's, uh, let's unite our hearts together in prayer again before we spend some time sitting under God's word together. Father God, we, we thank you for your word, Lord, and I thank you for this place. Lord, I thank you for the congregation of Sandy Hills Church. Lord, I thank you for how dear they are to me. Father, I thank you, though, as much as I love them, I could never love them as much as you. Lord, you gave your life for this congregation. And Father, I thank you for the desire that you've placed in your people here for the thirst and the hunger for righteousness. Jesus, you said that those who thirst and, uh, thirst and hunger after righteousness, that they shall be satisfied. God, would you satisfy our souls this morning, we pray. You alone are the joy giver. Father, there are so many things in this world that are crying out for our attention. Distracting noise. Lord, they might be pleasing for a moment, but there's no lasting joy in them. True joy and true peace is only found in you. So, Father, I pray that as we sit under your word this morning, Lord, in what could be quite a weighty sermon, I pray for grace. Pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would permeate in all of our hearts. That your peace, a peace that passes all understanding, the peace, the Prince of Peace, would be walking in our midst. Just as we see Aslan going around the statues and breathing his breath on them in Narnia. Would the line of the tribe of Judah, would he be in our midst this morning? Jesus, we love you and we look to follow you and your word. So be with us now, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. There are some sermons that are easy to preach as a minister there are some that are that, that are difficult because you, you you feel them just moving you when i preach about the cross I, I always feel the weight of that and just the love of the love of god for his people when i do that but there's also a different type of difficult sermon and, and often it's when you speak about something that often isn't really spoken about in the church because in some ways, it might be a bit of a, a taboo subject. And, and sometimes when you speak about things, people kind of, they, as soon as the word is mentioned, they kind of, they can, they can shut off because they, do, they don't want to really want to hear about it because actually that's not part of my church commitment. That's not part of my church life. I want to say this at the very beginning of our service, that actually, if we are in Christ, 
that means every single part of us, all who we are. Not just our Sunday mornings, not just our little devotional times, but every single area of our life. We need to let the word of God permeate in our lives, in every single area. Our relationships, how we live when we're single, what sort of husband and wife we should be, sort of parent we should be, what sort of child we should be, what sort of sibling we should be. Our jobs, why we work, how we work, our whole life, every area. And actually that includes what we're going to speak about this morning, which is our finances. Our finances. And and the, the point of the sermon this morning is not, please don't hear me wrong. It is not to make you feel guilty. That is not the point of this sermon. Because if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's no amount of money you can give that's going to make God love you anymore. There's no amount of money that you can give that's going to give him give you more favor with him. Some churches teach that and that is not scriptural, it is not biblical and we do not believe in prosperity gospel. But God does speak in his word about our finances and why we give, what we should give, how we should give. And as I preach this sermon this morning, like I said I don't want you to feel guilty. But you might feel convicted. And the point of conviction isn't to leave us feeling guilty and leave us in condemnation. That's not the point of conviction. God's conviction is always quoted in his grace and in his mercy. It should always lead his people to be transformed. That's why he brings conviction. That's why we're convicted. Because he puts his finger on a point in our life that actually it isn't right. And it doesn't marry up with how he wants us as his people to live. And the point of that is, is, is actually so we can give it over to him and so we can be transformed and become more like him and set free from our burden, set free from our guilt. So I ask you this morning for grace because hearing about someone speak about money is not easy. But speaking about money, especially as a West of Scotland man, is not an easy thing to do. Because it's quite a taboo. It's something we hide. I remember asking um, someone in my family how much they made when I was a wee boy. And did I get a a row? Absolutely. You don't speak about money. That's a personal thing. But we want the word of God to refine us and to make us as a people here more like the image of his son. John MacArthur says that money is a good barometer on spirituality. Money is a good barometer on spirituality. Why? Because money is something each one of us holds. Some of us might have lots. Some of us might have little. But in some way, most of us sitting in this congregation, I think it's fair to say, will have some sort of money in our pockets, in our phone, in our bank, under our mattress, wherever it is. Each one of us will have some sort of money. We can hold it. We earn it. We've received it. I saved it. I spend it. In the Bible, there are over 500 verses on prayer. There are over 500 verses, or there or thereabouts, on 
faith. Did you know there's over 2,000 verses in Scripture about money? 16 of 38 of Jesus' parables were about the topic of money. One thing I love about Jesus was he never put a basket around asking for a collection. Never did that. But he taught about money. Because actually, we read in the New Testament, that's the root of all evil. And it's something that we should not love. But it's, boy, it is so easy to love it sometimes. I read this week that money is a bit like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. The more money you have often, it leads you to craving more. I need more. It's not satisfying. Just a little bit more will do me. But it's like seawater. That quench will never go. It never quenches that thirst that we have. So we're going to spend some time looking at a few different Bible passages this morning. And the first one we're going to spend some time looking at is Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Genesis 4, verses 1 to 7. And the words will appear on the screen before you. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Amen. Many of us will know that story about Cain and Abel. Actually, Cain goes on and, and actually he, he, he's so, um, so angry in his heart that it leads him to kill his brother Abel. But we see even in verse 7 there that if you do well, will you not be accepted? We see that that God already ushers some sort of grace towards Cain. There's a way out of this, Cain. You just need to turn your heart towards me. Will you not be accepted if you do well, if you do right, if you follow me? But we read that sin was crouching at the door. I heard someone describe this and it really helped me understand it. Do you know in... In The Lion King, when the, I can't remember what the, the dad lion's called, but when the dad lion is at Mufasa and he's teaching his wee boy Simba, I think that's right, any Disney, is that right? Kira's nodding ahead. When uh, he's teaching Simba how to catch prey and, and they're, in, they're in the field and all of a sudden they disappear because they crouch down and Zazu is looking around, the wee parrot birdie thing going, where in the world have they gone? And all of a sudden, we see Simba pounce and he grabs Zazu. That's what this kind of crouching at your door. Friends, we need to be prepared, need to have our hearts ready, being, you know, geared up with the armor of God, ready, just ready, watching and waiting, making sure our hearts are are right before the Lord. Because if not, it isn't long before that sin begins to crouch at our door. And that's exactly what we see with Cain here. There is an arrogance in his heart. Friends, giving financially is part of our worship. 
And sometimes what we do in the Church of Scotland, when you become a member, if you become a member here, you will have uh, taken a vow about giving of your, uh, a fitting portion of your time, your talents, and your money. Sometimes what we do in the CFS is we like to offset those three things against one another. I'll give a little bit less money because I give more time. Or I'll give more money because I give less time. And that's not what that's about. God also speaks in his word about our time and our talents. We're not going to touch on that this morning. Maybe do that at some other point. But actually, giving is part of our worship. How we give our money is extremely important. And scripture teaches us how we give it and why we give it. It speaks about tithes and it speaks about offerings. And they are different. Tithes would be a regular giving. That's what a tithe is, and, and offerings would be what we're going to do next week, which is really what I want to speak about this morning, about our offerings. And they are in addition and above our, the, the tithes that they would give in Scripture. If you remember here, you will have received some letters that, that I've written, and I've spoken about the, the biblical principle on giving that, that we want to adopt here as a church, which is the, 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 the principle of tithing, which is so, so biblical. We see it throughout the Old Testament. It is what God calls for his people to give, the first 10% of what they have. The first 10. Why is it the first? Because if I was given, if I was told to give the last 10%, I can bet my bottom dollar there would not be 10% left. 95 I would spend. Maybe even 97 and I'd leave 3% because that's the type of person I am. It's like that jar with the satsumas and the rice. If I was to fill everything else in and then try and fit the God stuff in, it wouldn't fit. And the biblical principle is this 10%. And it's so beautiful because each one of God's people is called to give of 10%. Same percentage, but it means different sums. And I would never, ever preach something that I don't put into practice myself. Whenever I've preached a sermon here, I've always preached it to myself first. I actually stand on a Sunday morning in my study and preach this sermon in the mirror to myself because I want to learn as well. I'm I'm not just the pastor here, the minister here. I'm also a member of this congregation. Beck and I have practiced this since we have been married. I'm not saying that to say, oh, look how holy we are. I'm saying it so you know that I'm not calling you as a congregation to something that I'm not already living myself. And we would practice this just after we got married when we would clear something, maybe just over £12,000 a year. When I was studying and Becca was earning. Why did I say that? Because we never went without. We never ever went without. But although we're called to tithe, although we're called to give, we aren't meant to do it out of legalistic obligation. Paul says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. Some of us know how much of a delight it is to be able to give to the Lord and his work. And I know many of our congregation already do this. And in some ways, I may be preaching to the converted already. What I love about this Greek word for cheerful, um, when the Lord loves a cheerful giver, the Greek that is used there is hilarion. And it's where we get the word hilarious from. The Lord loves a hilarious giver. That's how much of a joy it is meant to be for God's people to be able to give to God and his kingdom. 
What would it look like for Sandy Hills Parish Church to be full of hilarious givers? If it was just such a joy in this place to be able to give to the Lord and to his work. This is the generosity that's meant to be within the kingdom of God. And this isn't about bulking up the bank in Sandy Hills Parish. That's not what this is about. Because I know that the Lord will provide for his work through ways that we don't even know about yet he is going to provide. When we step out of the boat, he always catches us. When we step out in faith, when we're following his will, when we're walking his ways, he will always provide. So this isn't about bulking up and making sure that Sandy Hills Parish Church has a few extra quid in the bank. That's not what this is about. This is about our worship. We want to be people who worship in spirit, yes, but also in truth. And I, as your pastor, want to see us as a fellowship step into biblical and and radical worship the Lord calls us to. It's not that God needs our money. He doesn't need it. He's not skint. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He owns everything. Everything belongs to him. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. He doesn't need financial help. But actually when it comes to giving, especially of finance, we see the posture of someone's heart. And we'll get to that in a wee while. Because that's exactly what we see with Cain and Abel. In their giving, two of them gave, we see the posture of one of their hearts. It's not meant to be a tick box exercise. This is about worship. Cain brought an offering. He brought something to the Lord. But the Lord had no regard for it. I think that sounds quite harsh actually myself. But that's my humanity speaking. The Lord had no regard for it. Why? Because Cain's heart was not in the right place. Why was Cain's offering not acceptable, but Abel's was? The answer is about the posture of their heart. Abel came on God's terms. Cain, he came on Cain's terms. Abel brought a sacrificial offering that showed his heart was bowed before the Lord. He brought his best. He brought the first fruits and the fat of the portion. He brought his best to the Lord. I wonder if we bring our best to the Lord. Or like those satsumas in the jar. Do we give God the room that we have left over? You know, like I said, I challenged myself. One thing I've been challenged on as I was preparing uh, over the last few weeks for this was I am so quick to buy every single football channel that is going. My season ticket, Sky Sports, BT Sports, Premier Sports. I even got Amazon Prime so I could watch the football that happens every, maybe once a year on Amazon because I didn't want to miss it. And yet, as I was coming to the day of giving, I'm sitting there thinking, what is it that I can afford to put in next week? How wrong are my priorities? I filled that jar with football and the leftover I have, I'm putting my satsumas in. My priorities are wrong. And I wonder if I'm alone in that. 
Let's be honest, I wonder if I'm alone. Money's spent on, on holidays and new cars, redecorating, new decking, clothes, whatever it is. And again, these things aren't bad in and of themselves. But if they take the priority and the place of the Lord, they become an idol. Some of us begin by wanting to possess more money. And it's eventually we who are possessed by money. That greed that can so quickly happen, like it is crouching at the door of our hearts. Her worship is meant to be costly. Sometimes I think my worship is what's convenient rather than what's going to be costly, what's going to be a sacrifice, what's going to bless the Lord and his heart and his name. Often the, the pushback against tithing and, and giving a, an offering is, is being able to afford things. Well, I think that's why it's the first 10%. Because everything else we spend should be centered or should be around that principle. It's like me saying, you know, I spend all that money on football, all those TV channels, all those different experiences that I get to go to. And then I try and fit God and his kingdom and his ways in. But actually what should happen is that the first thing that should happen is that I give to the Lord. And then everything that I have left, I can, I can enjoy it and I can use it and stuff. It's about priorities. I wonder, is the Lord the main priority in our life? Because if he is, he takes precedent over our finances as well. See, there's money for takeaways. There's money for coffees. There's money for streaming channels like netflix disney plus whatever it is like i said things that aren't wrong enough themselves but when they take the place of the lord they become an idol and our worship is all wrong then here's the beautiful thing the lord will provide our every need as jesus says because god even clothes the lilies of the field he will not leave us stuck Hebrews tells us that Abel's offering was one of faith. That he offered in faith. Friends, let us do everything that we do through faith. Let that be the lens that we look through. Everything in life is through the lens of faith. From a heart of worship. I said it before. I remember someone saying to me, you know, the, the, the gospel is a, is a free gift to all. But it will cost you your life. It's a free gift, but it costs us everything. Because we're to live, as Paul says in Romans, as living sacrifices. And we see from Abel, and this is the first principle I want us to remember, that we're to give our best. Not the leftover, but the best that we have. The first, the first, the best. So let's turn to our second passage, which is Mark chapter 12. We're going to read verse 41 to 44. I absolutely love these words. Absolutely love them. And it's about the widow and her offering. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. 
And he called his disciple to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more money than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I've chosen this passage because I want you to hear me. This is not about the amount of money you put in. This is about the posture of your heart. And that's exactly what we see in Mark chapter 12. Isn't it quite a thought that Jesus sat there watching the treasury? That he was sitting there watching people put their offerings in. I wonder what would you do next week if Jesus was physically sitting by our wee offering basket that we're going to have and he was watching how much you're putting in and he just kind of smiled and nodded at you as you put your offering in. Maybe you're thinking it's just as well we have envelopes for next week. But actually, although he won't be there sitting there physically, God sees our hearts. What can we learn from this dear widow, from this dear woman? In relation to giving. Verse 44. She put in everything she had. All she had to live on. And actually, although the, New Test- the Old Testament speaks about tithing and giving off the first 10% that we have. What we see in the New Testament is, I think, even more radical in terms with the, 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 the principle on giving. Where we see this, God wants everything that we have. Not just 10% of us. It's not a legalistic um, exercise. But actually he wants all of us. He wants all of our heart. He wants all our time. He wants everything that we have for his kingdom. He wants us to bow the knee to him in complete surrender. Everything. She held nothing back. She gave everything. How could she do this? Because in a worldly way, in, in business terms, what a stupid decision this woman made. If we were looking at this from a bank statement, you know, spreadsheet point of view, how ridiculous was she to put in everything that she had? But in terms of the gospel, in relation to faith, she knew God would provide her every need. Friends, here's something I want you to remember. The one who we give to is Jehovah Jireh. The one who we give to is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And here's the thing, it's not about the amount. Because if it was, Jesus would be giving this woman a row. And he'd be saying, look how good those other men are, those rich people who are putting in loads. But he doesn't do that, because it's not about the amount, it's about the posture of our hearts. She gave sacrificially. Here's a thought I've been thinking this week. Maybe the giving wasn't measured on how much they gave, but on how much they held back. Maybe the giving wasn't measured on how much they gave, but on how much they held back. So I think sometimes we hold back because just in case, what if the car wheel bursts? What if I have a leak in my roof? What if, what if, what if? But actually the one we give to is the one who provides. Do you trust him this morning? Because I think sometimes when we see this from this woman, 
when it comes to giving, it often speaks about how much we trust him. Do we trust that he will clothe us even like he clothes the lilies of the field? She put everything she had to live on. She gave everything to the Lord. Her giving cost her. It was sacrificial. That's the type of worship God longs for and desires and deserves. The rich gave large sums, but they could afford to give it. It didn't cost them anything. They gave out of an abundance. So whether next Sunday we give one pound or a thousand pounds, whatever it is, let it be out of a heart that looks to give sacrificially to the Lord. With hearts postured towards him, trusting him, blessing him. I want us to stand before the Lord this morning and we're sitting under his word. I want our hearts to be postured like this dear woman, not like the rich people, but people who say, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, because he's the one who provides, he's the one that's blessed me with everything. And thirdly, and very briefly, let's look at Matthew chapter 6. This is our last verses this morning. Chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your, earth, if your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is dar- darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. John Murray said that, What or whom we worship determines our behavior. What or whom we worship determines our behavior. Like the verse 24 says, we cannot serve God and money. We cannot serve both of them. The word here used for money is mammon, which is a really interesting word because it's not just about cash and pocket, but actually in the Greek, it's showing that there's a spiritual connection to the money that Jesus is speaking about here. That actually the money is, is somehow linked to the people's soul. And in, in it's supposedly mammon was the, the god of wealth. The god of wealth. And what Jesus is saying here is, who are you putting your trust in? Who is it that is filling your heart? Who is it that's leading you or guiding you? John Trapp said, the two poles shall sooner meet than the love of God and the love of money. The two poles shall sooner meet than the love of God and the love of money. There are two mindsets. Either everything I have is God's and he's blessed me with everything. Or God can fit into everything I have. God doesn't want the latter. Friends, as we look to have our day of giving. Do we give the best like Abel? Do we give in a costly and generous manner like the widow?
and are our eyes set on God and the things above rather than on material things like Jesus teaches. Whenever we speak about giving, we have to do it in regards to the gift that heaven has given us. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Heaven has given everything for you. The gospel calls for everything that we are. Friends, let us be a generous people. When we see how generous our God is, from the beauty of creation to the fact that he gave his only son for your redemption, we as people need to mirror his likeness and be a generous people and worship him how he calls for in his word in spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys and thank you so much for your patience this morning and thank you for your grace. And let's just, before we sing our last hymn, we're going to sing King of Kings Majesty in a moment. Before we do that, let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for your peace that is here. I thank you for your word that never returns to you void. We thank you that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But God, we do pray that if we feel convicted this morning, that we wouldn't ignore it, but we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, as a congregation, help us to live as you call us to. Would your word permeate in all of our life? From our relationships, to our jobs, to how we engage with one another, to our finances, all of it, Lord, we give to you. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Because heaven, you gave all you had for us. And Lord, we give what we have to you, our hearts. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our concluding item of praise, King of Kings.